So I encourage you to please take out your notes as we look at a very important point. I don't know whether you've even tried to go to Sylvia Park or down here at the moment. It's a madhouse, right? My brother was complaining even in Tauranga, he said, and I tried to get there at 10 o'clock, I couldn't even get a car park when you, even in Tauranga. One of the things I think is really important that we don't miss at Christmas is the peace that only God can give. I was rereading the Christmas story this week. In fact, for the last 22 days, many of us in this church have been in one chapter of Luke each day. One chapter. And I reread the Christmas story again and again. And I noticed, I look for patterns. I love mathematics. I love puzzles. And I look for patterns. I look for patterns and... and and all sorts of things. But one thing I noticed very clearly in this Christmas story, the very first Christmas story, is that there were some words that were used four times. Four times these words were used. Now, if your mother told you something once, that was once should be enough, right? But if she told you two, three, four times, we need to get it. And I think that's what God's saying to us this morning, this Christmas, in your household, in your hearts. The angel said it to Mary. The angel also said it to Joseph. The shepherds as well. And also the angel said it to Zechariah. So four times in the Christmas story, God said this phrase. And I want you to watch it as we go through today. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Fear not. You're going to see this. And today, see, it's easy for us. We're sitting here on a beautiful day in little old New Zealand, way down from all of the skirmishes that were going on. And we know the whole beginning from the end to the end. We know that the birth of Jesus Christ is very good news because we know what happens in the end. But I want to say this to you this morning. When it first came up, it was anything but good news. The birth of Jesus Christ created mayhem in a lot of people's lives. It scared everybody practically to death. And the Bible tells us that every one of the main characters in the Christmas story had to deal with a different kind of fear. And here's the interesting pattern I also saw as I reread the story. Every one of these fears that they had to deal with, these main characters, you and I still have to deal with Today, and you will certainly have to deal with it in 2020. Now, for millions of people, Christmas is not a season of cheerfulness, but it is a season of fearfulness. But the message of Christmas is this do not be afraid. God says it four times, I do not want you to fear. So, today, as we look at the Christmas story, I want to look at five common fears that they dealt with back then in the first story. Then I want to apply it to your life today, practically, and show you what God says is the secret of being fear-free. These are not my opinions. These are what God reveals in his word. Now let's identify, first of all, to deal with the fears, we have to identify what those fears are. Like before you go to the doctor to get a fix for something, you have to find out what the problem is, right? 
You want to know the problem before you can have a solution. So the first one is this. Mary had to face the fear. And you, in this room, some of you are going to face this real soon. It is the fear of inadequacy. I'm not up for this. I'm not sure I've got the goods. The fear of inadequacy. Now, there are many, many reasons why this young gal, perhaps 15, perhaps 16, somewhere around there, would feel inadequate, girls. You imagine this, 15 or 16 years old, so just a little bit older than you now. She's a teenager. She's unmarried. She's a virgin. She's never had relations with a man. So she doesn't know anything about what she's been told, completely unprepared. She felt inadequate. She's engaged to this great guy called Joseph, but she has to explain this incredible experience to her husband, she, uh, her fiancé. She feels inadequate to do that. That there's a child going to be born, the, not just any child, but the promised son of God. Now that would put the fear of God in anyone. By the way, you mums, raising a perfect child, that would be quite, you'd feel a little inadequate for the task, right? Remember how you felt when you had your first child. And by the way, how again do you feel adequate to explain this to your mum and your dad? When your teenage daughter comes to you, Marty, and says, uh, Mum, I've never had sex, but I am pregnant. And by the way, the kid is going to be the son of God. God's the daddy. Right. You imagine trying to swallow that one. You'd feel somewhat inadequate to explain that. And then, on top of that, because the Roman census has been taken, her fiancé has to go to his hometown of birth, basically for tax purposes. See, the the old IRD still work and alive way back then. (laughs) Has to go back to make sure we know where everybody is so we know how many taxes. So he has to go to the birth town. And in the last few days, remember this, ladies? When you had your baby... In the last few days, you have to hop on your donkey and you have to go about 70 miles south, which is a long way on a donkey. Not a good move, right? And then she has to get there. No mama delivering that first child. No mama. No doctor. No sisters. No aunties there to help with a delivery. Just your husband. God help us all, right? Imagine this. This is you. Imagine it. You'd feel somewhat inadequate. No midwife. That would certainly create and add to the sense of inadequacy. I don't think I'd do this. Even though God had called her, even though God has called some of you, today you still say, how am I ever going to do this? What God has called me to do. I feel inadequate. The Bible tells us in Luke 1, 29. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to take them out. But she was greatly troubled. No kidding. <laughs> the saying, tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, here's the first one. Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son. And you shall name his name Jesus. And the Mary said, uh, and Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? A sense of inadequacy. In other words, she said, Ah, 
okay, but I'm not sure I'm up for this task. Now, Joseph, her fiancé, fears a whole different fear. And you may write this down. Joseph had to face the fear of disapproval. A very strong force. I was sitting on one of these tables over here not long ago with four medical doctors. Four medical doctors. I said to them, just out of a sidebar, hey, tell me, is there any common thing that presents with you today? You know what they said to me? When I was talking about young people especially, they told me two things. Anxiety and depression. Anxiety and depression. All four of them agreed. I said, why is that? What is causing that? That's a whole different deal. But one of the things they said to me, and there seemed to be consensus among those four doctors, was that it was comparison, especially on social media, and the disapproval or the approval of others and the the fickleness of the crowd. Interesting. Anyway, Joseph had to face the fear of disapproval. Now, imagine this. Now, Now, I need you to flip your head and think now, in Joseph's shoes. No, just, just, just put them on. Let's go for a little walk in Joseph's shoes, right? So your fiancé, the girl you love, tells you she is pregnant. It's like, rip my heart out. How could you do this to me? That's probably a reasonable reaction, wouldn't you say? And then it's not like she's gone mad. She claims God has made a print. Well, that's the first time I've ever heard of that. Fair point. And then she doubles down on it. And by the way, the baby's going to be God. I mean, this is unbelievable. But then, hold on. Then think about, it, about your workmates and, and your neighbors, your buddies. Imagine the ridicule. We miss this sometimes. And the shame and the gossip and the criticism heaped, heaped upon Joseph, you jackass. She's taken you for a ride. She isn't pregnant by God. She's been messing around. Do not think this is a sanitized version. That's exactly what some people would say. We miss that. She's taken you for a ride, Joseph. Come on, wake up. And if, he be- if you believe that story, man, you're nuts. I could, I could imagine that. I'm in Joseph's shoes. So Joseph's first reaction to Mary's story was utter disbelief. I don't believe you're pregnant by God, and I certainly don't believe it's God. It's disbelief. You know, I love you, honey, but I ain't buying the story. I can imagine him saying that. And privately, the Bible tells us now that he was going to quietly decide to break off the engagement. He wasn't going to embarrass her. He wasn't a meanie. Because he loved her. Just terribly disappointed. Aware of the disapproval of his own parents. You're going to marry a girl who's already given a baby? What's wrong with you? But he was just going to end it there. But because of the disapproval of other people, the Bible tells us like this in Matthew 1. 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, this is not just engaged guys, this has legal ramifications. This is a big deal. Way bigger than what we know today. Because they came together 
she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, that's a great mark, resolved to do this and divorce her quietly. See, you couldn't just get out of engagement these days. It was like a divorce. But as he considered these things, behold, he's figuring this out in his head. You can imagine his, his emotions would have been all over the map. I get it. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the, um, of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, here we are, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife, for what is conceived of her in her is from the Holy Spirit. So just like Mary, God had to tell Joseph, fear not. Now let me ask you a question. Whose disapproval are you afraid of? Or, let me flip it the other way around, whose approval are you living for? The Bible says the fear of man is a trap. Now, God has a plan for your life, but I've noticed so does everybody else. God loves you, and everybody else has a plan for your life. And if you go the other way against their plan, you can feel the scorn and the heat that comes from there. So you've got to decide, friend, whether you're going to be a people pleaser or a God pleaser. Now, Joseph could have easily just run with the crowd and said, oh, this is too hot. I'm going to have to face this the rest of my life. Or I'm going to push out in the other direction and resist being a people pleaser. Joseph could have missed out on the greatest blessing of his life. Going to be the stepdad to the son of God if he had worried about the disapproval of other people. Christian, you have to stand, if you are a Christian this morning, be prepared to stand against the disapproval of others. I don't mean in an objectionless, in an objectionable way. But I do mean you have to learn to disagree agreeably and move forward. It was a fear that he had to deal with. Now, there's a next group. In the first story, another fear. And and you may want to write this down too. The shepherds face a fear of sudden change. Sudden change. See, the shepherds are in their fields. And they're um, watching their flocks the night Jesus was born. Typically, they cook dinner on the fire. And then, you know, the way my... Sanctified imagination works as they're probably playing cards, just you know, kicking back, <laughs> enjoying the time together. And then the all and then all of a sudden the sky lights up with a brilliant light, you know, you wrong LED type of thing, and filled with angels and a singing loudly a choir. For all they know, guys, this could be ET arriving. They'd be freaking themselves out. This just has never happened before. It scares them to death. And their plans for a quiet evening of cards, vadoosh, gone. There's a sudden and dramatic change. The Bible says this in Luke 2. That night, some shepherds were in the fields outside the village, guarding the flock of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory flashed, boom, like an explosion and surrounded them. This light surrounded them. This is like, What the heck is this? They were, this is a good word, terribly frightened. And this is not just a minor, uh uh-oh. This is, holy smoke, (laughs) am I going to live through this? 
So the angel said to them, I say it again, do not be afraid. Third occurrence of this pattern. How do you react when you caught off guard? Because I found in life you can be caught off guard a number of times, sometimes with a health scare, sometimes with a financial disaster. Adrenaline shoots through your system. You can almost taste it, right? And you get that fight or flight syndrome. Now notice God says to them again, do not be afraid, do not fear, do not be afraid. There's another, there's another character who went from panic into a panic when Jesus' birth was announced. His name was Herod. Herod had an unusual fear. His fear was he feared losing control. Losing control. Herod was the king of the Jews, even though he actually wasn't a full Jew. And he was paranoid about losing his throne. Absolutely paranoid. So much so, this guy was a bloodthirsty killer. You can read about this in history. Many of you have taken history at university. You know this to be fact. You can go read it in Josephus's History of the Jews. Antiquities of the Jews, excuse me. He was so paranoid that his brother-in-law killed for fear of him taking over the throne. I could kind of understand that, but I can't understand the next one. He also took his own mother's life. He murdered her. His wife was also assassinated, and he had two of his sons assassinated because he felt so threatened and he was going to be out of control. He'd lose control of the kingdom. This is the maniac we're talking about here. Now, when he hears that Jesus, the king of Jews, is being born, he freaks out. So he orders the death of every baby in Israel under two years old in the northern part of Israel to try and prevent Jesus from thriving and threatening him. That's how paranoid he was about losing control. But Mary and Joseph, the Lord arranges, are warned in a dream, and they take Jesus to where? Where? Good, just checking, we're all there. Egypt. (laughs) And they don't return until Herod dies. So some of us forget that too, by the way. Jesus was a refugee. Matthew 2 tells the story. Jesus was born in Bethlehem during the time of Herod was king of the Jews. Then some wise men came to Jerusalem and started asking, where is the child born to be the king of Jews? We saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard this news, he was deeply frightened and disturbed and so was everybody else in Jerusalem. (laughs) Did you see that? So was everybody else in Jerusalem. Now, we at Christmas often sing the song. I was listening to it last night. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, right? Well, let me tell you, it wasn't calm that night in Jerusalem. The whole city got nervous. Everybody's afraid. Mary was afraid. Joseph was afraid. The shepherds were afraid. Herod's afraid. And the entire church town of Jerusalem was afraid because when Herod gets mad watch out there's a problem coming and he was ticked. Finally there's one other guy, Zechariah Zechariah was an old guy he's a priest who'd worked in the temple of Jerusalem for many many years and his wife Elizabeth was the cousin of Mary 
So when Mary gets pregnant, unwed pregnancy, remember, they ship her out of town to Auntie Liz's up there, out of the way, to live with a cousin and Zachariah. So she wouldn't have to deal with the stigma for the next nine months of explaining how can you be a pregnant girl and no husband. That's why they did that. So Elizabeth and Zechariah were really good people, but they're really old now, up in age. And they prayed their entire life. They'd agonized over being childless. Agonized. And actually, they'd given up hope. They were afraid to hope because they prayed and nothing happened. Prayed and nothing happened. Prayed and nothing happened. So they'd almost lost hope. That's what that happened. Now, this is the fifth fear that we see in the Christmas story. Zachariah and Elizabeth face the fear of being disappointed. Disappointed. One day, God said to the angel, uh, sent the angel to Zachariah in the temple, and you know that you've been praying for that baby, you guys. Well, guess what? Elizabeth's going to have a baby. Zachariah had been disappointed in Elizabeth so many times that he now doubted it would ever come to pass. Now, some of you in this room can relate to the fear of disappointment that holds people back. All these fears have a way of ensnaring you, holding you back from God's purpose. Here we go. While serving the temple, an angel appeared to Zechariah, Luke 1. And when he saw the angel, he was confused overwhelmed with fear. But the angel said to him, what do you think the angel said? (laughs) Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. So again, God in the Christmas story says, fear not. Are you getting the point that God doesn't want us to be afraid and fearful? And by the way, Zachariah's long-awaited son grew up to be who? John the Baptist, absolutely. The forerunner of the Messiah, and who said, God is coming, guys, get ready, God's coming in human form. So question, which of these quickly, these five fears, are holding you back this Christmas? Is it the fear of inadequacy? I don't, am I good enough? Do I have what it takes to do what God wants me to do? Or is it the fear of disapproval? You hate being criticized. And you're living a life to please everyone else. Here's the good news if that's you. You do not have to live your life to please anybody. Just God. And, here's another thought, you are as happy as you choose to be. What about sudden change? Some of you want 2020 to be no change from 2019. I'm done with change. But here's one thing I want you to realize from life. The only thing that's constant is change. How about losing control? Maybe you're the, the, the control freak. Now, I don't want anybody messing with my plans. The sit and forget. How do you know when you have a fear of losing control? Well, I'll tell you what happens. Two things. Often, a warning light, like on your dashboard, goes off. And it's called worry. If you're a worrier, you have control issues. And sometimes, if that isn't checked, like in your car, if it's flashing, it can turn into a blown-up engine. On the other side, it can turn into anger. Be careful. Anybody familiar with this term, worry? 
Friends, you cannot change the past. It is impossible to change the past. And worry cannot change the future. Worry can't do that. All worry will do for you is mess your life up today. So which of those fears have you been dealing with? Now, once you figure that out, then you can start to look at the second part of this message, which is simply this. How do I get rid of those fears in my life that keep me from becoming all God wants me to be? How do I do that? You do the same things that God told those guys at the very first Christmas. And when you do this, when you apply God's word to your life, your fears will go down dramatically, and the joy and the peace and the confidence will go north. This again has nothing to do with my opinion. I'm just observing what God said to his people back then and it's exactly the same principles because truth never changes. What was true a thousand years ago is still true today and it'll still be true in another thousand years. Here's the first step to, to deal with these fear issues. Number one, I need to surrender my life completely to God every day. Surrender my life completely to God every day. This is how Mary overcame her inadequacy. This is the antidote to it. When the angel told her, you're not married, you've never had sex, and you're going to be pregnant. And the angel told her, by the way, the child's going to be the son of God, and you're going to raise that child. Mary overcame her fear of inadequacy with this one statement. Here it is, Luke one thirty-eight. Mary responded. So she gets the news. This is how she responds. I am the Lord's servant. And I am willing to accept whatever God wants in my life. I love the attitude of this 15 or 16 year old gal. Great lesson there. Have you ever said that to God? I'm willing to accept whatever you want in my life. I'm willing to do whatever you want with my life. Not, well, these are my plans, God, and don't touch them. What if God said to you to do something that you don't think you can do, just like Mary? Friend, let me assure you, on the other hand, God will never ask you to do something he doesn't equip you to do. God's not like that. He will never ask you to do something, then not give you the resources. Now, you look at Moses, there's plenty of examples we could look at. Some of those things didn't happen until he stepped out in faith. And that's something that God wants to say to you again. You've forgotten. You're playing it too safe. Step out in faith. Trust in God. Our confidence comes from him, not in ourselves. So you've got to stop, and you've got to surrender your life completely to God every day. Then number two. This is a big one for some of you. Stop listening to the voices of fear. Stop listening to the voices of fear. You're going to have to change what ideas that you allow into your mind if you want to get victory over fear. See, I can listen to the world and what it tells me, how I don't measure up and all those things, or I can listen to my heavenly Father. He tells the truth. They lie. They are fickle. He's faithful. You have to stop feeding fearful things into your minds. Take a look at the books. Take a look at the movies. Take a look at the magazines and your diet of 
news. Because last time I checked, I used to be newsaholic. I'd be sucking in streams from all over the world. But I realized that most of it, probably 80-85% of it, is reporting on some scandal, some salacious thing, some unique murder, (laughs) or something. And there's very little good news in that. And if I compared the time I spent new, you know, absorbing news compared to the word of God, what's the balance is my question. So, be careful. Sometimes, here's another thought, even our own thinking is flat wrong. What? I could be wrong? Yes. Some of the things that you and I tell ourselves are wrong. Let me give you an example. You say things are great when sometimes they're not great. And sometimes you think things are terrible and they're not all that terrible. We deceive ourselves many times. They're not as bad as you think. You and I need an objective source of truth rather than our own subjective opinions. And God's word provides that. And his promises can be our strength. Because guess what? God's promises never change. And they can be an anchor for strength in a very tough storm. So, So let me give you a good example of this. Some of you are sitting here thinking, oh, well, I'm doing pretty good. Well, here's a, th- here's a thought. If I was to say to you, who was a father of faith? Who's, who's, did, who's characterized as the father of faith in the, in, in the Bible? Who would that be? Abraham, right. Let's take this guy. So here's the father of faith, right? One of his weaknesses, we forget this, was that he was afraid of other people's opinions and afraid of other people generally. How do I know that? Well, He allowed fear to dominate him, we know in Scripture, not once, but at least twice, when he claimed he passed his wife off as his half-sister. Half-sister, actually, but close. Man, if I passed my wife off as a sister, I'd never hear the end of it. (laughs) Friends, let me say this. When you're walking in fear, you are not walking in faith. And when you're walking in faith, you are not walking in fear. The two cannot coexist together. And the Bible says this in Romans 14, whatsoever is not both of faith is also sin. Fear is contagious. It's a communicable disease. So in 2020, get some new friends. Ditch the ones that are negative. And that's one of the reasons why you need a church family. Now you're welcome here, but there are lots of good church families in East Auckland. We'd love to have you here. But I just want to tell you, we just work with 11 other churches. We are for the body of Christ. Just find one where you can get around people of faith and have a more positive, faithful outlook on life rather than such a negative outlook on life. Think of all the, uh, for one more second, all of the fearful, negative voices that Mary had to block out of her mind. Sometimes, I, like her, I can say, stop. I've got to almost get hold of my thinking. God is the father? Yes. And the baby's going to be something? Yes. You know, who do you think you are? Claiming to have God's son? Maybe you had to block that out to get on with God's plan for her. If she was overwhelmed with all the negativity, she'd never get off the ground. Two. Two more kids were dealing with fear. Three. Fill my mind with music that praises God. Music. We've forgotten that. Too much talk. Music that honors and focuses and worship and praises God. Why? Because that can give you courage. Because when you're fearful, your attention is just on you. 
how I feel, how I look, how competent or incompetent I am, and you or I are totally focused on ourselves. However, contra that, when we focus on God and worship, it's on how big God is when we worship. And I'll tell you what I've noticed. The more I worship God, the smaller my problems become. So to use, borrow from McDonald's, God's Spirit is saying to you, you need to upsize God. And when you do that, your problems will decrease. Your peace will grow. The closer I get to God, the more confident I'm going to be in life. Why? Because you lose your fear when God is near. I noticed that the other day with my little grandson. Papa! And he comes and grabs my hand. As soon as he's held in my hand, he gets confidence. <laughs> I can take on the world because I'm with my papa now. No fears anymore. And did you know what Mary did when she was so frightened about the job that God gave her? Do you know what she did? She wrote a song and she sang it. Actually, Mary's song is actually recorded in the Bible. Luke chapter 1. This is how she dealt with the fears. And Mary sang. See? Connecting the practical straight from God's word. With all my heart, I praise the Lord. Not just with the lips, but with all of my heart. I rejoice in my God, my Savior, for he notices and cares for me, a simple servant girl. He has blessed me, and he is the mighty one. The bigger God gets, the smaller our problems become. Your fears shrink. Who is holy? Whoa, all-powerful. He can do anything. He meets all our needs, and he keeps his promises. Now, friends, I want to suggest to you it's no accident that Christmas is the most musical of all the holidays. There it is, just out there. There's no other holiday in the world that has music like we have. Thousands upon thousands of songs about Christmas. Christ. Why? Because the first Christmas, everybody sang. Here's another pattern. Did you see it when you read the scriptures? Here's another pattern. Mary sang. She sang. You can go read that. Elizabeth sang to get rid of her fears. You can go read that. The angels sang. The shepherds sang. And even Zachariah sang. That's called a Benedictus. For those of us who've been in traditional churches. He writes a psalm. Now I highly recommend in 2020 that you start listening to music purposefully. Be careful of the words because some music today is all about how I feel and not much about God. That is not worship. Worship is extolling the worthiness of God. If it gets the words, the lyrics get onto you, it's nothing to do with it. It's soulish. Don't mistake the two. Focus on music that focuses you on God. And then there's finally, there's a fourth way to defeat your fears. The fourth and last way to defeat your fears. Base my hope on the promises of God. Now let me ask you a deeply personal question. What do you put your hope in? What gives you hope in your life? I, I... This is me, Ian Buckley's personal testimony. I do not put my hope in myself. 
I don't put it in the economy. 2020, what it's going to do or not do. I certainly don't put my hope in politicians or public opinion or cultural values. I put my hope in what God has promised because I know that will never change and it will never fail. And his promises are in his word. Did you know that in the Bible there are many, many hundreds and hundreds of promises from God to you? And if you go through life not knowing what God has promised to do in your life, could I humbly suggest you are missing out? It's like having uncashed checks in your phone. Ooh, ooh, you know, the $50 or you know, whatever it may be that you left in your pocket. But you've never done anything with it. And if you don't know the promises of God, it's possibly one reason why you struggle with anxiety. The fourth key to overcoming fear in your life is to stop listening to the culture around you and start focusing on what God has promised to do in your life. Elizabeth noticed this in Luke 1. Elizabeth said to Mary, you are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. She hung on to the promise, what God says he does. And Mary believed God would keep his promises. Her faith gave this young peasant girl confidence in very uncertain, very challenging and fearful times. Her promises, there it was, that God would do what he said. And as a pastor, I want you to be blessed. I want you to experience the peace that Jesus brings. And in Psalm 56, David said this, When I am afraid, I put my trust in God. And when I trust in God, I'm not afraid. Reciprocal relationship. I praise him for what he has promised. So if you have gone through life not knowing these promises, you probably had a lot to worry about and be confused about and to be fearful about. So this Christmas, I'm going to finish with the most important promise. It's the promise that when you die which every single person in this room is going to die. You, if you trust the Son of God, can go to heaven. This is the promise of eternal life. It's John 3.16. The most famous verse in the Bible. For God so loved the world. He did this out of love, remember? The offer is given to you in love. That includes you. God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. That's what Christmas is all about. That's what this season is about. He comes to earth in the form of Jesus Christ. He gives his one and only son that whoever believes in him. Notice, friend, it does not say who believes and is perfect. It doesn't say he who believes and never sins again. It doesn't say that. It says he uh, it just says he believe, whoever believes in him that's the one condition shall not perish but have eternal life that's the greatest promise that Jesus Christ came to earth at Christmas to die for your sins so that you don't have to pay for your sins Jesus Christ didn't just come to earth to forgive your sins and get you into heaven if you trust him he also came to eliminate your fears here and now last verse on the screen It says this, Jesus came to die for us, look at this, so that he could free us from living all our lives as slaves to the fear of death. 
friends, people have always feared death. And this fear has interesting implications. For some people, it gets them very motivated to be at the gym all of the time. <laughs> oh, I don't want to die early, so I'm going to go to the gym. Or they get some bad news, and so they need to go. The doctor says, cut your diet out. Do some exercise. Stress less. Actually, the Bible says that a long time ago. Just read the Bible. It says a relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. That's straight from the scriptures. Your doctors are going to tell you that too. Anyway, so some people get medical attention. Some people, because of this fear of death, try to always look younger. Feel younger. Now that verse there tells us Jesus made it possible for us to no longer fear dying and death. And Jesus promised eternal life in paradise with him if. This is a condition, girls. A condition. If we accept his payment on our behalf for our sins that all of us know we have committed, then death becomes a gateway to eternal life. A new life. Now if we don't, and that's your choice, then you'll stand on your own before the judgment seat of God and explain how an imperfect person can get into a perfect heaven. That equation, friends, does not solve. You have a choice there. So let's wrap this up. Do you know what's going to happen after you die? Because you will. If Jesus doesn't come back in the interim. Have you believed in Jesus so that you may have eternal life? Here's another question. Why would you celebrate Christmas and not receive the gift he's given to you? There's a bit of a disconnect there too. And what is that gift? Jesus Christ, his son. I'm going to close with this. It's what I call the fear not prayer. And if you've had issues and concerns about anxiety and fear, or distress in your life, I highly recommend, as we bow our heads, that you pray this prayer. That maybe this is the beginning of your journey of getting to know God at Christmas. Let's pray. As I pray this prayer, you can just say that in your mind and say, Me too, God. What really matters is actually the attitude of humility that basically just says this, God, I need you. So just pray this. In your mind, just say, Dear God, I do not want to be ruled by fear. I want my life to be full of faith and not fear. I admit that I have struggled with some of these fears. Inadequacy. The fear of disapproval. The fear of constant change. The fear of losing control. And certainly the fear of being disappointed. I've been afraid to believe, even to trust. I've been afraid to hope. And to tell you the truth, I've actually been afraid to even think about this subject. And yet you say, don't be afraid. So starting today, I surrender my life completely to you in every way. You're God and I'm not. I want what you want for my life. 
because you know what will make me happy more than I know myself. Father, would you help me stop listening to the voices of fear and to hang out with your family and people of faith. Help me to fill my mind with the music that gets the focus off me and onto you. And help me to base my hope, not in some flimsy idea, but on the rock-solid, certain hope of the promises of God. Lord, you've said that if I believe in your Son, I will not perish, but have eternal life. And I want that. So right now, as best as I know how, I humbly ask you to accept me into your family and forgive me of my sin. Jesus Christ, I don't understand it all. But as much as I do, I want to open my life to you. I want to get to know you. I want to get to know your purposes. God, for my life, I humbly ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.